The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. If you brought your Bibles, uh, it's a good time to get them open. Otherwise, the big Bible will be up on the screen. Uh, We have a reading from John chapter 17. Uh, We'll start with verse 20. Pastor Josh will unpack these verses later. But uh, follow with me, if you would, with a reading of the section from John 17, the words of Jesus. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Glorious. Sweet, guys. Well, again, I am still your pastor. Um, This last month, it's been a month. It's been 28 days since I've actually been able to preach here, to be able to be here on Sunday. Uh, And for me, it really felt like I was coming home this morning. I was excited to be like, you know what? We have two services, and that's okay. Like, I am excited to see my family, excited to see you guys. Through January, what we did was we had all the different Axe churches, so Leander and Axe Lakeway and Axe Lakeline and Axe Kyle, share the pastors. So you could get a little bit of a flavor of what God is doing at other churches, and so the pastors could be able to go and meet and embrace and celebrate what was happening locally. A little bit of update, what I learned. So our daughter congregation is Axe Lakeline, and like all children, they are much better with technology than we are. Uh, like they can text stuff in and they got cool videos and I'm like, ah, we're not going to be able to compete. So that's them. Axe Kyle, which is the newest Axe Church, they by far have the coolest venue. They meet in the Rail House, which is this sports bar that has bags and dartboards and pool tables and is a really cool vibe. And then Axe Lakeway, our mother congregation, well, they're a lot more organized than we are. Their volunteers get lanyards. I'm sorry to our team. Uh, I'm slowly but surely maturing, so I'm sure we'll get there one these days. But again, this is family. This is where I belong. I'm excited to be with you guys today. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, you are a God who invites us into relationship with you and invites us into relationship with community with your family. Lord, I pray that as we discover your mission for the church, as we, we discover your promises for Christian community, Lord, that we are able to be bold, that we are able to be forgiving, merciful. Lord, that we are able to receive your grace and your gifts so we may share your grace and your gifts with others. Father, we say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. So we are starting a series on community. Calling it Life Together. And community is one of those letters in the acronym of ACTS. So ACTS stands for Adventure, Community, Transformation, and Sending. It also stands for the Book of ACTS, which was where the first church started. And so it's this kind of convergence of two things. But community is something that is essential to the life of this church. And as we as staff got together, as we as leadership got together, we realized, you know what? We don't want to peak in 2019 or January 2000 and, you know, hey, we are here. We've done it. We're not going to get any better. We said, no, we want to go deeper into community. 
We want to really experience the fullness and the promises and the grace of what God has given us. And so this whole month, we're going to be looking at life together. You're going to hear a lot about community groups. We're going to be relaunching some. We're going to be bringing some up. We're going to be highlighting things like we have a Spanish-speaking community group here at the church. There's a Bible study that meets every Tuesday, 7 p.m., where I talk through what that looks like. We're going to be launching some new groups. We're going to be refreshing some of our old groups because we as a church believe community is essential. And you see that in the early life of the church. And so when we started the series, I really wanted to say, you know what, let's not bring in Tanner's best thinking. Let's not bring in Josh's best thinking. But let's look back at the promises of what Christ said Christian community was supposed to be. And so that's what we're going to be doing today. We're just going to be looking at the words of Christ about community, about the church, about what he was trying to create inside of us. And we're going to do them by looking at some myths that we have within the American Christianity movement. Right? And so we're going to kind of take, this is kind of what we think. This is certainly what the world thinks. This is often what the church thinks. And yet this is the truth. This is the reality of what God has said and spoken to. And the first myth is this. See, we raise the bar for what it means for someone to be a part of this community. And then we lower the bar for what it looks like to follow Christ. And that looks like this. Before you can really be a part of a church family, you have to either dress a certain way, you have to know the lingo, you have to know the language, or if nothing else, you have to be able to show up at a building for two hours a week and pretend like you have your life together. Do you ever feel that way when you're going to church? Like, okay, you know what? Yes, everything is falling apart. There is chaos on all fronts. But for two hours, I have to show up and I have to pretend, at least with these other people who are also all pretending, but none of us can tell that we're pretending, that everything's okay. It's kind of like the age of Facebook, right? Where you can show like a selfie of your family on vacation, everyone's smiling. And what they don't know is that for the last three hours, no one could stand each other in the car, right? But you see this one picture, like, you guys must have had so much fun. They didn't see like the knives that were behind everyone's back, right? And so we make it look like we raise the bar and say, until your life is to X point, you're really not going to find community here, right? But then we do something really weird. Then we lower the bar for what it means to follow Christ. We say, you know what? Yeah, once you're in the community, you know, that, that sin that you still have in your life, as long as you know how to hide it, as long as you know how to keep other people from seeing it, as long as you don't make us feel uncomfortable, you do you, man. Right? And so we have idols. And those idols could be a checking account. Those idols could be a football team. Those idols could be a thousand different things. A thousand different things that take us away from our relationship with God. And we as a church are like, eh, it doesn't affect us, so you do you. Right? We raise the bar for what it looks like to be a follower of Christ or to be a part of the church. And we lower the bar for what it looks like to follow Christ. And Jesus does the exact opposite. This comes from the Gospel of Matthew. It's the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Um, I'm going to come back to this in a second. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told them. And Matthew got up and followed him. All right, I'm just going to pause here real quick because this needs to get unpacked just a bit. This is scandalous what Jesus is doing. He's beginning his ministry, and he's walking down the road, and he sees a tax collector. And now none of us like the IRS. We're coming into tax season. I'm not excited to do my taxes. I'm guessing most of us aren't all that excited to have to go through everything we spent and how much we owe and all that kind of stuff. But this is nothing compared to what a tax collector meant in Israel 
at this time. You see, tax collectors worked for the occupying nation of Rome. Rome had conquered Israel. And in conquering them, they said, you have to pay us. You have to pay us taxes. They paid a lot of taxes. And what they realized was the best way to collect taxes was not to bring in Roman people to get the taxes because the Romans didn't know where the money was. So what they did was they would hire Jews, they would hire those from Israel to collect the taxes. And they would send them out with Roman soldiers. And they would go and they'd knock on a door and they would say, you owe Rome X amount of money. And if you don't pay me, these two big soldiers behind me are going to ransack your house. They're going to hurt you. They're going to throw you in jail. And beyond that, the tax collector then, any amount of money they wanted above and beyond what Rome needed, they would take as their own paycheck. Tax collectors were hated. They were despised. They were collaborating with the enemy. And so it got to the point where if you were a tax collector, you could not actually enter the temple of God. You were not welcome. You were such an outcast. You were so broken that you couldn't even connect to God anymore. And if you spoke to a tax collector, if someone saw you eating with them or drinking with them, the priest had the right to say, and now you can't go to church. That's how broken this system was. That's how broken they thought these people were. And Jesus begins his ministry. He's walking down. He sees a tax collector collecting taxes, doing the thing he's not supposed to be doing. Right? He says, hey, come follow me. And then it gets worse. It says, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, so not only does he say, hey, you know what? I got a different life for you. He shows up at this guy's house and he gathers more tax collectors. Many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? So now it's not just the collaborators. Now it's the prostitutes. It's the drunks. It's whatever sin you can think puts you out of touch with God. And on hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. He says, go and learn what it means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. A couple of weeks ago, I was talking with one of our elders, Avelio, and he had said that when he grew up, he learned that the church was meant to be called a hospital for souls. A hospital for broken people. A hospital for people who don't work the right way, who haven't done all the right things, who have scars, and who have actually given other people scars. You see, Jesus does something remarkable when he begins his ministry. He doesn't raise the bar for what it means to follow him. He doesn't say, until you get your life together, you have no place to me. He doesn't say, you have to raise and lift your hands to me. He says, no, I'm going to actually come to you. There's no longer any bar. He says, all are welcome. All can come. But then he says, I love you just as you are, but I love you too much to leave you that way. He says, come follow me, and I will teach you what God thinks righteousness is. He says, come follow me, and I will teach you how to love your neighbor as yourself. He says, come follow me, and I will send you on mission with me and on mission with the church. You see, when Jesus shows up, he switches the bar. 
He switches them. He throws one to the ground. He says, anyone's welcome. But then he says, but I'm going to invite you to something better. I'm going to invite you to a calling that is beautiful. It's full of joy and with peace and with patience. Because I'm going to show you how to live like me. And I'm going to teach you how to teach others to live like me. Right? So that's myth number one. Myth number two about the church. It actually isn't about the church, it's about ourselves. We get this idea that the truest expression of faith, if you really want to be close to God, it's really about you and God. That if you really want to know Jesus, the most important thing is just really you, him, and maybe your Bible. But what you see in Scripture again and again and again is that is not how Jesus talks about faith. Faith takes us from individualism. He saves us all. He rescues us all individually. But then he brings us into community. That verse we had, John 17, I'm always struck by this. So this is Jesus praying, and he says, my prayer is not for them, and he's talking about the disciples, his first followers alone. He says, so I'm not just praying for them. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. Think about that for a second. The God of the universe, the Messiah, the hero, Jesus himself prayed for you. He's really good at praying. His prayers come true, right? Do you ever feel that way? Like, all right, God, I'm going to ask for this, and it may or may not. I don't know if you hear me, whatever. This is Jesus. This is the Messiah, and he is praying for you. And what is his prayer? Is his prayer, God, I pray that they are perfect. Is his prayer, I pray that they know all the right answers to all the difficult truths in the world. No, what does he pray for? He says that all of them may be one just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us that the world may believe that you have sent me. See, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them, you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. His prayer is for unity in the church. That's what he thinks to pray about. And what's weird is why? He says, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me even as you have loved them as you have loved me. Our unity is witness to the church, is witness to the world. When the church is united together and with God, that's actually testimony. That's witness. Paul describes it this way in Ephesians. He says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the pastors, the evangelists, the teachers, right, so the leadership of the church. He puts them together. Why? To equip his people for works of service, right? So they can be equipped so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach a unity in faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the full the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Do you want the full measure of the wholeness of Christ? It means being united with the church. And that does not mean you do not have a personal relationship with God. God is your father. You are his child. He wants to talk to you. He wants to listen to you. He wants you to be able to hear his voice. And yet, if you want the fullness of Christ, 
That comes through the unity and the community of the Christian faith. That comes through something more than yourself. It comes through being united with others who are wrestling with God so that they can encourage you and challenge you and speak God's word into your life. That's the purpose of church. There's one last myth I'm going to say. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to put it up on the screen, and some of you are going to be like, heretic! All right? So I'm telling you that right now. It's okay if by the end of the message you still want to stone me. Stones seem hard, but you can throw shoes. All right? So we can literally have the entire service just throw a shoe at my head, and I'll, I'll get back in line. Right? But understand, what's on the slide is not going to be the end of the story. All right? All right, so we're all prepared. Scandalous Josh. We reduce the purpose of the church to the forgiveness of sins. We say what really matters is that you are forgiven. Now, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. But I remember I was in my systematics class at the seminary, and I had Dr. Okamoto. Dr. Okamoto was a small Japanese man who read out of his lectures literally as a dissertation. He would just read it down. He would laugh silently but very publicly with his hands crossed. And he went around the classroom. He said, what's the most important thing to know about Jesus? You got all these seminary students, all of us about to head off on our vicarage. And again and again and again, we said that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He's like, no. And we're like, okay, we're in a systems class. We just need to get the words perfectly right. And we're like, that he's the lamb of God. He's like, no. And, then he's, and so we went back and forth. 45 minutes goes through. And he is literally silently laughing at all of our answers, right? We're about ready to throw him out the window because we're like, no, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And he said, yes, he did. He goes, but here's the thing. If the most important thing is that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, you are the center of God's story. He goes, is that healthy? And it just blew us all away. We're like, oh, ooh. That kind of made us a little bit uncomfortable because often as Christianity, what we uh, mix up is we exchange the means of what God is doing for the end of what God is doing, right? The means, what he had to do for the why he did it, right? He says this in John. He says, therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Right? They will come out and they will go and find pasture. The thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. Then he says why he came. And notice how it does not say, I have come to forgive your sins. He says, I have come that you may have life and life to the full. And then he shows the means. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Do you see how that goes? The means are forgiveness. The means are grace. The means are a God who says, it doesn't matter what you've done, I can forgive it. It doesn't matter how you cut yourself off from community, I will find you a new community. We have a God who comes in and says, I will go to any length to have a relationship with you, but there is a purpose to that relationship, and that that purpose is life and life to the full. See how that works? Forgiveness of sins is the heartbeat that makes the body alive. 
Connection to Christ is the heartbeat that makes us alive, that connects us to his mission, to his passion. Christ died so Christian community could experience the life and share the life of Christ. See, it's not just about us. Because if we move to, well, Christ died for the cross for my sins, but they individually, well, then we just move it to the church and say, well, he just died for the church. Well, again, that's still just about us, and God is bigger than just us. My professor's answer to the question, so what's the most important thing to know about Jesus? Was Jesus is Lord. Because under Jesus is Lord, you get forgiveness of sins. You get purpose. You get Christian community, but it's all his mission. It's his purpose. It's his life that sends us out. This last week, I got to spend some time with the pastors of Acts, and we were praying together, and we were learning from other churches, and there's a ministry happening out in Tampa. And it's a church that sends out what they consider micro-churches or micro-Christian communities, they started telling stories of what these communities are doing. One of the communities started, a couple Christians got together, and they started a DJ booth in their apartment. And a gang member they connected with started coming over, learning how to drop the beats, and they all started learning about Jesus. Eventually, the gang member realized, I cannot have Jesus as Lord and my gang leader as Lord. I can't serve two masters. And so he goes to the gang leader and he says, here's the deal, um, I'm out. And the leader's response is, well, you can be out, but in the same way how you had to get hazed to get into the gang, you're going to get hazed to get out. There's a physical hazing and you're not going to be able to walk out of here. And this former gang member looks at him and says, all right, you do what you must. What you have to know is the Lord I serve created you. Do what you will. And the gang leader said, you can go. And now that one person who didn't have to reach a bar, right? There was no bar he had to reach up to. No, they accepted him. They put him in community. He heard about God's love. His now goal is in two years for that gang to be completely disbanded. For that gang to hear and receive and be in Christian community and following this Lord who says, it doesn't matter what you did. I forgive you. I died for you. I fought for you. I have a life for you. I want you to share that life. Another one of the Christian communities found out about a group home that worked with the mentally disabled. The average IQ was 54. But nothing Jesus-y was happening. So they showed up and they started to build this little microchurch. And this group of men and women, they say, you walk in now to their worship, and it's like the aroma of Christ. You just smell them, you see them, and their faces, and their joy, and their singing. And the main hub church exists to send folks out. The community exists for the larger community. And so when they gather, they again receive forgiveness of sins. They again realize, you know what, God, I'm still broken. I still need that hospital for souls. My soul still needs some mending, and we get it. We receive it, but then he sends us out. That's the type of community we're trying to create here at Acts. And I'll be the first to admit we're not there yet. We're still working through it, but that's what we're shooting for. 
A Lord who said, I have come that you may have life and life to the full. A Lord who says, I'm the good shepherd and I will do anything, including die on the cross, so you can experience that life. So you can be sent out. So you can be equipped for every good work. Together, united with Christ on mission. I'm going to invite the band up. We're going to enter a little bit of time of worship. Uh, the song is going to be, Jesus, Savior, Pilot Me. The Lord, the God who has a plan to invite him to say, God, I need you. I need you to be the one in control. And then we're going to come and we're going to actually have communion, community union with both God and with each other. Connected to God, united, experiencing him so we can share that with the world. Pray with me, guys. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for being a Savior, a Lord who fights for his people, who lays down his life for the sheep, the Lord who goes beyond just putting us to zero, but gives us a mission, gives us a passion, gives us the invitation to follow you, but to follow you in community together. Lord, we pray for the boldness to be able to go out to be that light. Father, Lord, we say that's all in your son's precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.